Great. Um, so uh, f- a few years back, Sarah and I worked in Bristol for uh, ooh, nice uh, for many many years. And um, there's a church in Bristol. Some of you mm. <laughs> talking on worry. Um, there's a church in Bristol that we often used to go past um, around sort of towards Brisington. And they always had these kind of signs out, sort of cheeky, cheesy, funny, kind of cliched signs, or sometimes serious, sometimes challenging, sometimes quite funny. Um, and we did see one particular Sunday, I don't think it was tongue-in-cheek, I think it was serious, someone had put this sign up that said this, don't let worry kill you, let the church help. Um, uh, you know, you may have heard that, but we, we saw it in Bristol. Um, Worry, that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Are there any worriers here? Who would admit to being a bit of a worrier? Come on, hands up if you're a bit of a worrier. That's, some of you are a bit worried that I was even asking. Some of you were definitely, yep, with me. One or two spouses were elbowing their wife, husbands. Well, put your hand up. But actually, that was quite a lot of us, quite a lot of people. Worry is a real thing, isn't it? And genuinely, tonight, I don't want to kind of belittle any of those worries or anxieties we feel. The really good news, in a sense is if we carry worries, which many of us do, um, God sees and God has a heart um, and and loves you through that, but doesn't want to leave you in that place of worry. He wants to bring transformation. In the parable of the four soils, the parable of the sower, remember that parable? Um, In Luke's Gospel, Jesus describes worry as one of the things that thwarts spiritual growth. He describes worry like um, they're like the thorns and the thistles that grow up and strangle growth. And and in it, he's saying worries like that, the worries and anxieties of this life, are things that can so easily rob us of our spiritual joy, our hope, our faith for the future, and our spiritual journey can kind of stunt our growth. A few, a few chapters later in chapter 12, Jesus um, again commands his disciples several times not to, to worry. And it almost, you know, as you hear those words in Jesus' mouth sometimes, certainly for me, Jesus seems to be anticipating Bob Marley, you know, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be okay. Now, I don't think that he was kind of humming that reggae tune in his head, but that kind of when people start talking about not worrying, often those sort of cliched songs begin to come into our head. Um, Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. So really, it sounds like a really nice way to live your life, doesn't it? But I'm really struck by the depth of what Jesus says in comparison to some nice, catchy, um, earworm song that gets stuck in your head forever that just offers you this kind of advice, don't worry, be happy, but gives you no idea of how to achieve that happiness and how not to worry. Whereas I think Jesus, his wisdom is so much in contrast to the kind of cultural gurus of pop music. Worry is a real phenomenon, that's the reality. If you do a quick um, Google on stress rates in the UK, UK, Dozens of links come up to websites and experts and um, uh, statistics on the whole thing of worry. Workplace stress, teen stress, stress among obese people, stress amongst children, rising stress amongst young children at school, stress amongst mothers, fathers, stress amongst students, 
Stress amongst vicars who have to speak on stress. Stress amongst congregations who have to listen to vicars. It goes on and on and on. There's just stress, stress, stress. In fact, last year alone, 17 million working days were lost, according to um, the UK Statistics Authority. Um, 17 million working days were lost because of stress-related conditions in the workplace, at least 2.4 billion last year. So these songs that say, don't worry, be happy, because uh, every little thing is going to be okay, or um, don't worry about a thing, and all of those sort of songs, they kind of, they, they kind of appeal to us because we want to be able to shrug off our worries. If only it was as easy as singing a little tune. We all want happiness. We all want peace. But as I've said, pop culture doesn't give us any reason why we shouldn't worry or any ideas of how we get rid of our stress and worry. Farrell Williams made, um, um, do you know the song Happy that he did? Happy. Um, he, yeah, <laughs> I won't sing it to you because I'll embarrass myself. He made a standard one that's four minutes long. Um, that kind of, I admit, it's kind of catchy, Happy. And he looks happy, and everyone in the video looks happy. He also made one that broke the world record, where he sings it for 24 hours. I reckon by the end of it, you'd probably want to kill people rather than be happy. Singing about happiness doesn't necessarily make you happy. Not really, anyway. In the moment, I think it can do. You know, we can, on a bright, sunny day, we can put on a nice song and we can sing. But actually, what about in the middle of the night when our worries catch us up? Because that's what we're really talking about, isn't it? When we lie in our bed, asleep or probably not asleep, and we wake up and suddenly we start thinking about paying the mortgage or the bills or our exams or that thing that we said to that person last week or kind of the, the work-related stress problem or our marriage or uh, my children or my grandparents or my parents. Or all of these worries and anxieties can begin to assault our heads. And learning what to do with them is not always easy. Sometimes us rational men, if I use that word, can park them. Sometimes I think that is easier for people. It's not just men, is it? Sometimes there are women who are able to rationally park that. But that isn't necessarily dealing with it either because those things are still there the following night because something hasn't changed just because we've decided not to think or worry about them. It's a good discipline, perhaps, but maybe it doesn't really change them. And Jesus, in contrast to a lot of those songs doesn't simply command us not to worry and go and sing a song or stick your head in the sand and hum. He gives us a reason why we don't need to worry and a way to be able to achieve that command. Luke 12 is a familiar passage. I'd encourage you perhaps to go and read Luke 12. It's very similar to the one we just heard, which is from today's lectionary reading. Luke 12 is a very familiar passage, but I'm going to read it to you from the message version, because sometimes reading a contemporary version kind of brings it alive in a, a new, fresh way. And I love some of the, um, the words in this. In fact, they're exactly the same as used in the reading that, that um, was read to us by Martin. So Luke 12, 22 to 32 in the message says this. Steep yourself in God reality. Jesus, speaking to his friends, said this. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if your clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach. More to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, 
but they, have you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, not to be preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. So steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. What I want you to do is pick up your piece of paper and your writing implement. And I'd really encourage you to do this. I'm going to explain um, what's going to happen with this. We're going to do a little bit of writing, uh, and we're going to call this your worry list. Some of you instantly will be worried about that, uh, and for some of you instantly, you'll think my piece of paper is not big enough, quite possibly. Um, I hope you've all got a piece of paper, and I hope you've all got a pen or a pencil or something that writes. What I want you to think about are your worries, your real worries, the things that concern you in the middle of the night, things that perhaps when you came to church tonight, they're worries for you. And what I want you to do is, before you start writing, I know some of you are poised, (laughs) ready to get going even now. I'm not sure I'm going to have enough time to write them all down. Um, What I want you to do is, there may be particular people, but I don't want you to write their names. So if you've got a particularly difficult relationship with a person, you might just want to write work colleague or family member or brother or sister. Don't use names. Don't write anything on there that would particularly identify yourself. But know that whatever you write down, of course, God understands. Um, and I want, you to be fairly, I want you to be specific, but not too specific. Because a bit later on, someone else is going to read your piece of paper. That fills lots with you with worry. But it's okay, this is safe, you can trust me, I'm a vicar, it's all going to be good. No one's going to be able to identify you, and your piece of paper is going to be a long, long, long way from you, so no one will know you've written it, unless you have particularly unusual handwriting. (laughs) Don't put your name on the paper, but I want you to really try and be honest, to write down, to list the things that genuinely are filling you with worry. It might be work, it might be family-related, it might be church-related, it might be past stuff, present stuff, future stuff. If you can try and write down as much of that as you possibly can on the piece of paper, just for the next couple of minutes, here's your opportunity. Go now. Go for it. Don't need to talk to a (laughs) neighbour. Keep writing, keep writing. Those of you who just arrived, welcome. You don't feel embarrassed. No one's noticed you arrive. It's perfectly good. (laughs) It's nice to see you. They're just doing a little exercise. You timed it well because you don't have to do this. It's brilliant, so... They don't have to be whole sentences. It can be just a bullet point could just be words. Ideally, so that other people can read it, another person can read it if possible. 
Just another minute. Thirty seconds. Okay. Hold on to your piece of paper. You can put your pencil down if you want to. Put your piece of paper somewhere it's safe. What I just want to say to you, as I'm speaking, it may be that other worries or anxieties come to mind, (laughs) like when's Tim going to finish? Is it going to be tonight? Feel free to add those things to your list if there's other other anxieties or worries that kind of come to mind. When, When Jesus was talking in that passage about not worrying, you know, when he says, look at the birds of the air, you know, they don't toil or reap, or, you know, look at the lilies of the field, how beautiful they are, you know, they don't worry about what's in their wardrobe tomorrow. So you don't need to worry... I have to be honest, there's part of us that goes, yeah, but I'm not a bird and I'm not a flower of the field, Jesus. And I want to unpick a little bit about what he's saying there because on one level it sounds like, you know, but let's remember this, Jesus at this point, he's talking to his friends, he's not talking to the crowds trying to kind of come up with a kind of cool sermon. He's speaking to his friends, he's speaking to a small group, his disciples, and he's trying to help them overcome fear, the reality of fear. When I said to you, I want you to write down some of the things that you worry about, some of the things that are fears in your life. I suspect there were very few in the room who went, well, I don't, I'm not afraid of anything. I don't have any fears. Instantly, it's like a bit in an exam where they say, your exam starts now, you may need to turn your paper over and start. Everyone was down writing because the truth is, all of us have some things that chase us, fears or anxieties, sometimes from our past, sometimes things that we're dealing with right now. Sometimes it's the unknown in the future and we wrestle with anxieties. And what Jesus is saying here, he's not talking about some sort of hippie lifestyle where we go, oh, well, everything will be fine and let's go and just live on a beach and hang out together and sing happy songs and everything's going to be fine. We don't need to worry about stuff. He's actually talking about the reality, the importance of a life that isn't separated from God. He's trying to help us understand that fears will continue to chase us unless we stay very connected to God. What this text, what this passage is calling us to do is to, is to live perhaps very differently in some ways from the world. Jesus talks about, in that passage, talks about the Gentiles. He's talking about people who live outside of kind of knowledge of God. And he's saying the world worries about what they're going to do for their job and how they're going to get money and how they're going to feed themselves. And, and Jesus is saying, I, I understand that people have those worries, but if you know God fully and you realise that he's good, then you don't have to have worries to that extent. Earlier on we sung that song we've been singing a couple of times, you know, you are good. Good, good father it's called. You are good. Now, I try to be a good father. I'm not perfect. Uh, <laughs> may come as a surprise to some of you. Not to my wife. Uh, really, genuinely, I'm not perfect. I try to be a good, good father and most of the time I'm pretty good. And my kids know that sometimes I get tired and grouchy and all the rest of it, but they know that I want to bless them. They know that I want to protect them. They know that bottom line, I would literally take a bullet for them. I would do everything I could, including giving up my life to save them, to protect them, to love them, to nurture them. And so I want to bless them. I want to give them good things. I want to clothe them and feed them and make them happy. And sometimes, actually, that means not always giving them exactly what they want when they want, because actually love sometimes holds some things back to protect them, to encourage them, to disciple them, to discipline them. 
But I'm not a perfect father. But I know how to try and be a good dad. But our Father in heaven, if we truly know him, Jesus said, if you really understand what your Father in heaven is like and you remain connected to him, then those anxieties and fears that you carry around with you, they actually can be replaced. They can be put to one side. Jesus, the Father, doesn't want you to be trapped in that place of fear. A life devoted to God, lived under the reign of God, lived according to the values of the kingdom, brings transformation. Now, to be fair to you, in that reading, there's a verse that it often isn't read first. It's verse 24. In fact, in the lectionary, some of you know what the lectionary is. The lectionary is how the, Bi- the church splits the Bible up into different bits each week to read through the whole Bible in three years. Well, the actual lectionary reading actually omits the verse 24 beforehand. It's read in another context. But actually, this verse is really important because it makes sense of everything that Jesus said. Verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So what Jesus is saying here is that money and stuff and possessions, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with stuff. But if your focus becomes them, and anxiety becomes about whether you've got enough and whether there's more. And if that's where your eyes are, that's where your heart is, that's where attention is, then your attention can't be on God. But if we turn our attention and give our devotion fully to God, then we'll see that he will provide for us. He will meet our needs. It's really, really important that we give and yield our hearts. That's what discipleship is, fully yielding to God, trusting his reign, trusting his kingdom and asking for his kingdom to come. I think part of the problem is that within the human soul there's this constant conflict going on. Many of us have that in our own perhaps lives. And there's kind of two incompatible ways of living. We can live in faith, trusting God, or we can live in worry, which is basically fear, anxiety. Faith, I think, leads to a sense of wholeness. And living in worry and anxiety and fear begins to kind of fragment and mess up our inner life and our our mind. We often end up feeling very, very broken because of that. That's a real challenge to us all in that situation. There was um, there's an old Cherokee story um, which I heard some while ago. Maybe you've heard this before. There's an old grandfather, kind of Cherokee Indian, sitting talking with his grandson, and he's talking about the internal battle that happens. Uh, did Mark talk about this last week? Uh, where there's kind of like the good wolf and the bad wolf. Uh, you, many of you will have heard this. Where the, good, the, the bad wolf is kind of anger and perhaps fear and worry and self-centeredness and concern and violence. Whereas the good wolf is kind of justice issues and being loving and self-controlled. And, and they're at war within us as humanity. The Bible talks about that. The Bible says that our mind is like a battlefield and there's darkness trying to kind of pull us one way and there's light trying to pull us another way. And in our mind, that's often where there's a real battle. Certainly as I talk about worry, that's where the battle often is going on in, in our heads and in our hearts, isn't it? Do I yield to worry? Do I yield to fear? Do I yield to anxiety? And so this old Cherokee Indian talking to his grandson says, this is, this is like a battle going on within us, a good wolf and a bad wolf. And so the little boy turns to his grandfather and says, well, well which wolf will win? And the grandfather looks him in the eyes and says, the one you feed, the one you feed. And I think there's wisdom in that for us all. 
whatever our faith, that actually there's a battle going on us. And as we feed fear and anxiety, it kind of grows stronger. Whereas actually if we turn to God and say, no, Lord, I I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that you are a good, good father. I believe that you are my provider. I believe that you're my redeemer. I believe that on the cross I can know intimacy with God. I can know friendship with God. I can know forgiveness. I can know hope for my future because you say that you are the God who has plans for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm. Where do we look? Do we listen to our worries? Do we feed our worries? Or do we feed faith? by dwelling in the word of God and trusting him and praying to him and asking for his spirit to fill us. I think that's a really important thing for us. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't yield to fear and faith. Trust God. And why do we trust God? Well, it sounds like a real cliche, doesn't it? A Christian cliche. Trite even. Don't worry. God loves you. You can see the kind of bumper stickers, can't you, on an American car or the T-shirt. Don't worry, God loves you. And it does sound trite, And yet, it is true. But what do we mean by that? God loves you. Well, it isn't just sentiment and words. We need to remember this. How did God demonstrate his love for us? While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love in a very physical way. He came to earth in the form of a baby. That's what the Christmas story was all about. We were celebrating here just a a month and a half ago, a couple of months back. Jesus came to earth in the form of a baby boy. And as he grew, he loved those around. He loved outrageously. We lose it today, but he reached out and touched the lepers. It was unthought of that a rabbi could do that, touching unclean people. He didn't just heal them, he touched them. It was ridiculous. It broke all the religious rules of the day. He then thought became ritually unclean, except he didn't because he healed him as he touched him. He spoke to the women, to the prostitutes, to the outcasts. He he sat and talked to the kids on the floor and he let them climb all over himself. He reached out to the least, the last and the lost. He showed the Father's love. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My love is the Father's love. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He fed those who were hungry. He had compassion on the crowds who were harassed and helpless and he wept for them because he loved them. He was moved. And then he took all of your worries, all of your fears, all of your anxiety, all the bits of the things that you wrote on your piece of paper and a thousand more in your life that you can't even think about now. For all of the past and all of the present and all of the future, he took them all on himself on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. He took them on himself. And then he conquered death. He beat the power of them. He beat the power of death itself by coming back witnessed by over 500 people, to demonstrate the ultimate freedom from worry found in the resurrection. No fear in death. The valley of the shadow of death is just a shadow now because of what Christ has done. And God says that for those who follow him, the same power that rose Christ out of the grave, that conquered all of that, is at work in you and me. That's good news. You and I carry resurrection power about. So we don't replace worry with apathy or singing Bob Marley, don't worry about a thing, or whatever it might be. We don't just replace it by wishful thinking. We replace it by seeking the kingdom of God, by earnestly turning our gaze back towards heaven, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, remembering his promises, 
not listening to that little worry that speaks to us in the middle of the night, that, that, that kind of voice of hopelessness or darkness that says you're not going to make it, you're not going to have enough, you're a failure, you fell before and you'll fail again. There's no hope for your future. All is lost. And we go down in a spiral of darkness. Jesus says, don't listen to the lying voice. Listen to my voice, because in my voice is life. Jesus says, don't worry about your future. I, I mean, it's almost funny, isn't it, that last one? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries to worry about. Just trust me for today, and tomorrow you'll see my provision again, because I'm the God who is for you, and I love you. God wants to protect us. God wants to help us. And God wants to encourage us. In a, bit of, in, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. For those that know Jesus, know, those that know the Lord, whatever church tradition you're from, whatever kind of background you're from, if you know and love Jesus, it's an open table. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and I want to feed you and sustain you. And the truth is, we need stuff inside us. Because I've said this before, haven't I? The world pushes in. You know, I listen to the news and increasingly get depressed at what I hear coming out of various voices, shall we say. People saying things, and I think, really? Is this really happening in the world? Is this really the hope for the future? Is this really what's happening in the world? And I listen to local news, and I, I listen to people on the streets, and there's a sense of pervading darkness often that does break in. But God's light is more powerful than the darkness of this world. And God wants to help us overcome worry and anxiety and fear. And he wants us to be free from those things. God wants us to know his purpose for our lives. And he wants us to be assured of the future that he has for us. What I want you to do is pick up your piece of paper... If you want to fold it in half, you can do that. Um, and what I'd like you to do is start passing it to somebody else. Someone behind you or someone beside you. I want you to give your piece of paper away and do a swap with them. That's the easy thing. Do that once now. Find someone. Give them your piece of paper. And that person, can they now give it to someone else as well? I want the paper to just travel around the room. So keep swapping if you're aware that you've got your own one back, <laughs> please um, let's pass these bits of paper around. <laughs> keep going. Let's keep, keep moving these bits of paper around. <clears throat> and when you think they're shuffled enough and you've got one, just go and sit yourself back down. Make sure you've not got yours. Okay, grab a seat. Um, all of this is confidential. No one knows whose piece of paper they've got, probably. Uh, what I'd like you to do is just for a moment have a look at that piece of paper at some of the things they've written down there. It may mean something to you. It may mean nothing particularly to you. But I'd like you to look at the kind of categories perhaps they've written, the words that they've written there. The circumstances may make some sort of sense to you. Do you know, one of the things that I think is lovely, 
people often ask, okay, what's the church for? Well, in the world they look at the church and often say, what on earth is the church for? And often we've not been very helpful because the church has become an institution or it's become this kind of place of judgment or scorn or uh, anger. It's often been a place filled with hypocrites and all those. And and we have to own that sometimes and say, do you know, actually, yeah, that's true. Sometimes the church has been those things and worse. You know, when I look at what was done in the name of the church, in the so-called in the name of Jesus, whether it was going off on crusades or whether it was conquering other nations in the name of the church, we have to own that and say that was not God's plan for the church and that's not done in his name. But at its best, the church is beautiful, it's glorious, because it's a bunch of struggling, sometimes uncertain, sometimes stumbling people, but who have found that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. And I love what Bear Grylls said on one of the Alphas. He said that he's realised that it's not like Jesus is a crutch. It's like Jesus becomes your backbone. He becomes everything that makes you into the person that God always intended you to be. He brings you freedom. And the point of the church isn't that we're some massively strong institution, but that we're family. And we journey together. And sometimes in our midst, there's ones or twos of us who may be in real pain, or really vulnerable, or really not filled with faith, but filled with fear, or really hurting, or really bleeding, or really poor, or really needy. And those of us who are maybe full of joy and hope and strength and love can come alongside and just sit and not offer words of wisdom or say, well, it says this in the Bible, but just simply love and be. Because we're family and we sustain one another and we encourage one another and we bear with one another and we serve one another. And sometimes we challenge one another because we all need challenging. I know I do. We do that as family with a bedrock of love because we want to build one another up, because we've discovered the love of God that's brought transformation to us. And as you've passed your worries to someone else, I think there's something quite prophetic in that, because sometimes our worries become our worries. And I think Satan kind of makes us hold on to them. In the middle of the night when we're alone and vulnerable and there's no one else around, they become so loud in our heads. But God says to you, you are not alone. You're not alone. You're loved, loved by the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and you're loved by this church family and the family of God in the city and in the nation. And you don't need to be alone. And we can share our burdens, our anxieties and our fears. And we've just kind of actually done that. Your fears, whatever you've written down, they've been put out into the body somewhere. We're the body, we're the family. I wonder what things were written down. I want to read you this passage and I just want you to think on those things for a second. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, about what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, at a single hour to your span of life. And why do you worry about clothing? Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For if the Gentiles who strive after these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring enough worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As you look at those pieces of paper, I'm going to name some categories. And if one of those categories comes into your piece of paper, I'd just like you to hold it in the air. You might not understand all the things that have been written down. But if it has anything to do with family, maybe children, parents, siblings, just like you to hold your piece of paper up. Or it may be relationships. Keep, keep them in the air if you can. I'm sorry, you guys, you're going to be hands up for a while. Relationships, maybe marriage, maybe singleness, maybe difficulties in some sort of relationships, perhaps friendships. You may want to keep your hands up. If it's to do with money or finances or debt, keep your hands up. Perhaps it's to do with work, job, vocation, career, friendships. It may be stuff to do with the future or the past. Maybe a sense of self, uncertainty about where you're going. If it's to do with health, bodies, death. If it's to do with security, things like terrorism. Are there anything else that I haven't read out that's on a piece of paper, category that you want to call out, anyone? Other people's opinions of you. Yep, so kind of that whole thing of self-worth and what others think of us. Okay, put your hands down. All those things are written on there. What's interesting is, you know, when you mention someone like family or uh, work, career, suddenly loads of hands go up. The point is you're not alone if you're worried about those things. And there's no judgment against you as part of the church for feeling those things. And yet often we feel such shame because, oh, I'm, I'm worried about this. I couldn't tell anyone else because I'm supposed to be a faith-filled Christian. You are not alone. And Jesus knows you're not alone and loves you. And he wants to draw those things out of us in order that he can free us from those things. He doesn't want us to sing, don't worry, be happy, and stick our head in the sand and pretend they're not real because he knows they are real. They're real worries. And Jesus loves you and wants to help you in that place of worry because you're not alone. We share those things together. And we do that as family. God wants to help us in that. In a moment, we're going to just share some communion as we kind of come to a close. And we're going to do this in a very simple way. We, we do it here at St. Matt's. We, we, t- we do communion in different ways. At St. Thomas of Beckett, it's more formal. Here, I'm just going to say some very simple words from Scripture. And we're going to invite you to come and take some of the bread. And it will be broken and handed to you. And there will be some, uh, got the non-alcoholic wine, grape juice tonight that we want you to be able to share. And if you're here with family, you might want to bring your family and come as a family. You're welcome to do that. As we come to the table, as we receive from Jesus, what we're saying is, Lord, I've got all these worries in my life. And we've got all these worries together. But I do believe that you're enough. I believe you're going to be the one that sustains me. 
Not these worries won't sustain me. These worries will pull me down and down and down if they become my focus. But Jesus, if you become my focus, even if it's a small step of trying to raise my eyes, lift my eyes to the mountain to where my help comes from, God says, I will meet your need. I've met your eternal need. I will meet the need in your life. may not be in the way you expect. may not be in the time you expect. But God says this to you tonight. Do you trust me? It's a really simple question. And actually, it's either a yes or no, really, to that one. We, God says, do you trust me? And as we gaze at Jesus, as we look at Jesus on the cross, I would suggest it's hard to say anything other than yes as we gaze on him on the cross, his body broken for us, carrying the entire sin of the world, the pain of pillaged generations, of, of broken people, of, 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 of raped generations, the pain of the Nazi gas chambers. All of that, Jesus carried himself on the cross. Our sin, our brokenness, our, preed, our, our greed, our pride. And Jesus says, of course I care about you. I know you. I know how many hairs are on your head. I know every circumstance you face. And my grace is sufficient for you. My power is able to bring you freedom. So what I want to do is we do communion. We'll have um, uh, a couple of us over here and there'll be a couple of us over here offering bread and communion. So we invite you to come and take some of the bread. Feed on Jesus. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that can sustain you. And what I want us to do, those of you who have got pieces of paper, I want to invite you, as you come, we're going to clear this out of the way, just got a, <laughs> a very simple cross here at the front. You're carrying someone else's burdens. I would suggest that's what we're called to do prophetically as his people. We don't live in isolation, we live as family. And so you're carrying someone's precious pain and fears and worries. And I think God is calling us to do that as family. What you hold in your hand is precious. It's precious to God and it should be precious to one another. You don't know who wrote it probably, but I invite you to come and to just come and put it at the foot down here by the cross somewhere, down on the floor, knowing that you're bringing that to God and you're offering that to God and you're praying, you're interceding for that secret person saying, Lord, will you meet this person in their place of worry? And as I offer you them, offer you their worries, Will you bring freedom for them? And as you're doing that, someone somewhere else in the room is doing that for you. Not because they've been told to by the vicar, <laughs> but because hopefully in their heart they want to. Because none of us tonight want to go home with a load of bits of paper with worries on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn these worries later on. Peter loves burning things. I'm so glad this church has got good fire insurance. But we're going to burn them. Because, you know, sometimes we give things to God and then we come back a little bit later, don't we, and just sort of pick them up again and put them back in our pockets. We're going to give them to God and we're going to really try and do that tonight and leave them at his feet. Is that okay?